Hello and welcome to the RBC Ross Trevor Campus Sermon Podcast. Our mission here is loving God, loving people and seeing lives change. At RBC, our heart is to build a Jesus-centered community, to see lives changed in multiple languages and locations. We hope you enjoyed this message from one of our weekend services. To find out more about us, please visit our website, rbc.org.au. Uh, but we're continuing through our series, What Matters Most, and we're in the hump week, uh, and we're looking at Jesus' commandment. But I want to start with a question. What's most important to you? It's a pretty broad question, and it's uh, on purpose. But I wonder what springs to mind first for you. I mean, it could be that it's your to-do list. Productivity gurus are always coming up with new systems or philosophies that are largely based around the same thing, making sure the important things get done, not just the most urgent. These strategies are supposed to help us be more productive in less time or at least be less stressed when it comes to having time and headspace for the things that don't hit our to-do lists. Or maybe you're a little bit more of a sentimental kind of person and and a special possession or passion or tradition came to mind for you. I know recently my grandma uh, passed down to me uh, the family Bible that belonged to her grandfather, which is my great-great-grandfather. This is something special and I look forward to passing this down to my kids and my grandkids as they get older. Now, a passion or tradition can often hold a similar kind of importance for us, whether it's walking or hiking or going to the footy or family dinners or hobbies or crafts, the list goes on. Or maybe what comes to mind as important uh, for you is your family or your circle of friends. You're one who prioritises these relationships above all else, invests into them, and seeing your family and friends, friends flourish is something that brings you joy. Maybe it's important to you to be at every special event of your kids or your grandkids or to give every opportunity to be involved in sports or music or dance or other interests. Or maybe you're the one who bakes the cake for all the special occasions and the birthdays and the anniversaries. We all make time for what's important, don't we? And we could say this is the mark of living a good life. But how easy it can be for us to lose track of what's important. I don't think the global shake-up that was the COVID pandemic, which is kind of still going on as we're hearing in the news, would be so disrupting if it was easy to keep our eyes fixed on what's important. Many people started new jobs during this time, changed their work rhythms, started or withdrew from commitments, took up hobbies, slowed down, cleared their minds and de-stressed. And maybe society is better for it. Maybe you are better for it. But if it didn't happen, would we have noticed that we were off track? That's what this preaching series is about, keeping our eyes fixed on what is important or what matters most. 
To quickly recap where we've been so far, Dan kicked us off a couple of weeks ago looking at Jesus' call to come and follow him, saying that what matters most is our allegiance to him. And Mike last week looked at uh, Jesus' cross and that what matters most is who Jesus is rather than the benefits that we gain from knowing him. And today we're going to have a look at, as I said earlier, Jesus' commandment, which we find in the middle of Mark 12. If you've got your Bibles, you could open there. So just to set the scene for us, Jesus is in the middle of the temple fielding a bunch of questions from various teachers of the law. And it was usual practice to discuss matters of importance among people, especially in the temple in the first century. Both Jews and Gentiles had this practice. Whether most of the, uh, however, most of the questions that were being asked in this uh, interaction were intended to trip Jesus up or discredit him as a rabbi in front of the temple goers. But Mark portrays one of them differently. So we're going to have a look at that one today. So reading from verse 28, it'll be on the screen uh, behind me. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The Torah, which is the Jewish scriptures, contains 613 commandments, often categorized as positive or negative commandments or do's and don'ts. And this teacher asked this question because Jesus has previously given a good answer, seeming quite genuine in this question. So this teacher's question was probably not wanting to know which commandments he could just, you know, not, not worry about and the ones that he, he had to keep. But he wanted to know from Jesus his take on what the underlying premise of the whole law was in its entirety. So Jesus answers this way in verse 29. The most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbour as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. These words should have been familiar to those listening as Jesus was quoting scripture from the Shema in Deuteronomy 6. They should have been drummed into them because these verses go on to say they were to be on their hearts. The words should be on their hearts, impressed on their children, talked about when they're at home or out for a walk or lying down or sleeping. They should be tying them to their wrists and writing them on their foreheads and writing them all over their houses and gates. But if we put this into Jesus' cultural context and the context that Mark was writing into, we start to see that maybe Jesus wasn't just reaffirming a well-known teaching here. There is a saying in the Mishnah, which is a written-down version of the, Jesus, of the Jewish rabbinic teaching, or like an oral Torah, if you like, which says the world rests on three things, the Torah, sacrificial worship, and expressions of love. 
So I think Jesus was making a statement by not affirming the Torah knowledge of the teachers of the law who prided themselves in this and their ability to show their lives in compliance with it. And if we look at where this passage appears in Mark's Gospel, it it sits between recounts of Jesus overturning the tables in the temple in Mark 11 and Jesus' announcement of the temple's destruction in Mark 13. And if that wasn't enough, Mark's Gospel was written at a time that the temple was probably inaccessible for worship. Depending on the dating, the temple was either occupied by the Romans during the war or had already been destroyed. So Jesus doesn't set these love commandments above the other two, but he ignores them completely, saying that loving God and loving our neighbour are the most important commandments, that they are the only ones that matter. I think this is fairly simple for us all to understand and agree with. I mean, Jesus did outwork this in all of his ministry. He was about loving God and loving people. But before we get too ahead of ourselves, the interaction goes on. And when the teacher of the law responds, he says, Well said, teacher. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no, one, no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbour as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. You are not far from the kingdom of God. How would you feel if Jesus said that to you? Not exactly what we aspire to, is it? Just close to the kingdom of God, not far from the kingdom of God. Earlier in the week, I had the privilege to attend Joy McQuillan's funeral here and her daughter witnessed to the fact that Joy lived by three things, Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. That witness was certainly true of Joy, but as I was reflecting with some of the other staff after the service, it's so difficult for us when you think about it, to actually do that in today's self-care, self-help, self-centred culture, isn't it? And for us here at RBC, loving God, loving people, seeing lives change has been our mission statement and plastered on the side of our building out here for about 20 years. A group of the ministry team at the time devised this together and on a leader's retreat prayed and discerned that this should be the core and underpinning of everything that we do here at RBC. So it will be worth us asking ourselves on a regular basis, is this still the core of who we are and what we seek to do here at RBC? At first reading, you're not far from the kingdom, doesn't sound that bad at all. It sounds like, well done, mate, you're almost there, which it is. And it isn't. It's more of a, I see you understand it, but I can't see you doing it. And how easy for us to agree with something, to understand it, but to struggle to actually live it out. 
If loving God and loving our neighbour is really something that matters most, we can't just let it be a statement that's plastered on the wall. It has to pervade everything that we do and all that we are. Today is the last time that I get to preach here as a member of the pastoral team at RBC. I wasn't going to do this. <laughs> as I was preparing and reflecting on my time here at RBC, I realised how much this passage and these words of Jesus have challenged me and changed me and the way that I go about ministry. So as we go through and seek to apply these commandments in our lives, I want to share a few stories and reflections of this journey with you. You see, I thought I loved God. I've been on staff here for a, a couple of years and, and the team was going great and we were having fun and worship was awesome. The band was growing and, and new leaders were being raised up. I was doing all the things I was supposed to be doing for God as my worship to him. I was investing in myself as a leader and doing all the right things so I could continue to be better at what I was doing. Then COVID hit, and it was like the rug had been pulled out from under me. No longer could we worship the way we had always done, and it was a rough time. It was a rough time for all of us. I'm sure we can all attest to that. But for me, on reflection... It was a time when God was asking me if I loved him or if I loved the God things that I got to do as part of my role in the worship team. The issue was that I was spending all this time doing for God and not enough time being with God. If you're in this doing framework about attending church, about doing Bible readings and devotions, about doing our prayers, doing ministry, God doesn't care for it. If we are loving God completely, these things don't belong on our to-do lists because he wants a relationship with you. A relationship isn't something that we do. A relationship cannot be ticked off as complete or be a one-sided affair. So do you know how much God loves you? Do you know, do you really know how much God loves you? So that we're not here all day, because this is a bit of a hobby horse for me. So that we're not here all day, here's just a selection of thoughts to tell you how much God loves you. We read in Genesis that he made you. He created you in his own image and breathed the breath of life into you. Even before we were knitted together in our mother's womb, God had thoughts about you and he knew you. And when he looks at you, he sees this image and he thinks of it as very good. The psalmist writes, Thank the Lord for his faithful love and his wondrous works for all people. Because God satisfied the one who was parched with thirst and he filled up the hungry with good things. He has provided everything that we need. So we should not be in want of anything. Paul prays in Ephesians that we may have the power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge 
that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. The dimensions of God's love for us are beyond our capacity as humans to understand, but we do know this, as John writes, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent us his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. A few verses down we read that God is love and therefore all the descriptors that Paul uses in his classic verse on love in 1 Corinthians 13 could be used of God when he says love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonour others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But God knows some of us are a little slow. We take time to process all of this and therefore he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Then we can all be called God's children as he always intended us to be. And as John adds, because that is what we are. If we think about a parent and a child relationship like John portrays, for most of us parents, there is nothing that our child could do that could make us stop loving them. And for kids, the extent to which they are loved and able to give love is something they can understand. However, they may not have yet learnt how to show love appropriately or how us as parents would like to receive love from them. I mean, I'm not really asking for my child to do flips and all that kind of stuff on my lap as ways to love me, but I know that that's what it is. This is how we can be with God sometimes. He, he welcomes this and he encourages us to mature in our love just as we encourage our own children to in this as well. God loves you. God loves me completely. Everything about you, he knows. And he loves you anyway. Do you know anyone else who would do that for you? If he loves us completely, then loving God is about keeping up and contributing to our end of the relationship. We love him completely with our whole self, with all of our hearts, soul, mind and strength. We love God with our hearts. This is the centre of our body and where we make our decisions and our plans. It controls our feelings and emotions, our desires and passions. And this is where our relationship with God is birthed. This is why Matthew writes, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If we treasure God in our hearts, we know that we love him. 
We love God with our souls. This is the source or the energy that gives us life. Some would call this our spirit, the thing that makes you who you are and displays your identity. The difference between our heart and soul could be described in the difference between what we do and experience and who we are. Jesus calls us to love God with both. We love God with our minds, our thinking selves. God wants us to have more than just an emotional response to him, but an intellectual one. We don't check out our minds when we walk in the doors here to worship, but our rationale, our perceptions, reflections, our opinions and our judgments, our questions and our doubts should all be turned towards him in love, in both the calmness and the wrestling. And we love God with our strength. This is our physical capacities and our possessions. We love God with our abilities to help, to serve, to give, to lead, to listen, to provide and to be present. We share and are generous with the skills, finances and possessions that God has provided us with. However, This is done in conjunction with loving God with the rest of ourselves so we don't lose focus. I don't stand before you as someone who's got this worked out. I'm still learning too. There's no shame in being the kid who is doing backflips and all that kind of stuff on God's lap and still floored by the love that God has lavished on us as our Heavenly Father and still figuring out how to appropriately love him back completely. We all need this reminder of what matters most. Loving God is about spending time being with God. It's about exploring and enjoying him through scripture. It's about meeting and experiencing him in worship. It's about being real, authentic, and vulnerable in our prayer and discussions with him. And it's about recognising his presence and his hand at work in our everyday mundane lives. But we cannot separate this first commandment from the second, to love your neighbour as yourself. John is very clear in his first letter about this, making these two commandments inseparable when he writes this. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So we love God because he first loved us and because of that we extend this love to those around us who carry his image also. We are to love our neighbour as ourselves. What does that mean? We use the measure that we would like to receive love ourselves, loving to our highest ideals rather than someone's merits. Or as we read in John 13, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. 
We don't, get to get, we don't get to be picky in this either. As asking who our neighbour is implies that there is such a thing as a non-neighbour. Richard Foster said this in, as, when he was discussing Jesus' social revolution. He said, For the children of the kingdom, it is not important who a person is, only that a person is. We aren't going to find it easy to love everyone. And God doesn't expect us to find it easy. We're not going to agree or get along with everybody. We need to put the effort in and learn to not let our disagreements stop us from having love for people. If we find it difficult to see someone as a neighbour, we best recall that Jesus also taught us that we should love our enemies. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians, If I speak in tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains and don't have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. The most important thing in our relationships with those around us is love. Otherwise, we are reduced by extension. And by extension, the message of Jesus is reduced to a horrid noise or something utterly worthless. This is why this command is so challenging. Someone reminded me this week of a men's small group that I was in when I was about just, just older than the girls that are getting baptised today. We used to meet in his living room, read through a passage of scripture uh, together, share our lives and share breakfast together all before coming to church. He recalled me sharing a seed of ministry that I felt had been placed on my heart to the group. Even then, before I would have said that my journey uh, into ministry began. He reminded me of this and told me that alongside food and water, people need to know that someone cares for them and thinks that they're worthwhile. This is certainly what I've felt from many people over the years at RBC. Jesus is calling us to be willing to give or to waste time, if that's what it feels like with people, in order that people around us feel cared for and worthwhile. The opportunities to love our neighbours are practically endless. Halloween was this past week and a Baptist pastor saw the opportunity within the community around his church to love their neighbours. So on Tuesday night he dressed up as Papa Smurf and held a trick-or-treat stool in the church car park to engage with the families in the community that was out there looking around. Seeing the opportunity as one for the church to engage in what the community was already doing by themselves rather than to seek to rally against it in this event sees a way for the church to positively interact with their neighbours in an unexpected way. And next week we have the easy opportunity to be involved in loving our neighbours through the Out to Lunch Sunday. May this be an opportunity that we take to get to know some people that we don't already know well or 
Bless people that we know might not be able to invite us back. Take this opportunity to practice hospitality. Serve some toast. Beth hasn't let me live that one down since my last sermon. But let us approach this church-wide event as one that we can help people feel cared for and worthwhile in our community and in the community around us. And I'll be remiss if I didn't mention the power of loving neighbours intergenerationally. I've been thoroughly blessed here by many people in the generations above me who have encouraged me, shown interest in me, listened to me and challenged me over my life and shared stories with me. I just heard from someone who's ahead of me in age who was praising God for the fact that he could see clearly again after some surgery that he recently had. That was a great encouragement to me. I've been spurred on in my faith and life to see and hear stories from the generation that are after me, including these girls that are getting baptised today. And we've had six girls over the past two weeks share of their walk with Jesus and make significant steps in their life by choosing to be baptised. They have the youth leaders and their parents who have had a part to play in their journey. But who could you be one of the people from the generations ahead to encourage and to cheer them on in their faith and life. Could that be you? And if you're someone in your youth or young adult years today, look around you at the many people that are ahead of you in generations that you could love by asking about their stories and sharing with them. Now I could probably talk about God's love for hours and hours and hours and our duty and privilege of sharing it. But there's some people who would like to get baptised today, so I should probably wrap it up a little bit. So to bring us back to what Jesus says matters most. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbour as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. There is no commandment greater than these. There is nothing that matters more. When we truly express love for God and for others, we have offered God what is truly pleasing to Him, our true and complete worship. When we truly express love for God and for others, We have offered God what is truly pleasing to Him, our true and complete worship. As my final sermon here, if I can encourage you in anything, it would be to love God and to love people. Let's just not have it as a nice thing that we have on the side of the building and on our letterheads. Slogans are nice, but they become irrelevant quickly if they're not true. We need to continue to have them in front of us and honestly reflect on them. So as we close, I invite you to stand with me. I want to allow us a couple of minutes before God to be honest and vulnerable with how we were going in these areas. If you'd like, as we pray, you can put your hands out in front of you as we share this time of reflection before God together. Let's pray. Father God, 
We want to be those who take your words and commands seriously. So we pray that as we reflect on these, that you would help us to be honest before you and that you would help us to grow in these areas of our lives. So firstly, do we love God or do we love our routine or our ministry? Be honest before God. If that's you, if that's a distinction that you're struggling to work out, if that's something that you're not sure about, ask God if this is an area to reveal to you that needs work in your life. God wants a relationship with each of us, one that grows in the days, weeks, months, and years to come. God, we want our focus to be on you and you alone. We're sorry for the times that we've made the basis of our relationship, the stuff that we do for you and in your name. And we're sorry for the times that we shut you out completely. We pray that you would help to show us how to be with you in the good times and the bad times, the busy times and the slow times. Let us see your hand at work in our lives in the present, not only when we get times to reflect. We know that you want a deep and growing relationship with each of us. Give us the tools we pray, the rhythms and headspace for however it helps us to individually desire you more and more in our daily lives. And secondly, are we loving our neighbours or making excuses not to? Again, be vulnerable to God about this if that's you. Say, God, I need to stop making excuses. Or maybe there's just been missed opportunities that you haven't taken up. Know that God forgives you and will give you more opportunities as well. So God, you invite us to love you, but you also command us to love those around us, our neighbours. We're sorry for the times when we've made excuses in this area, whether they seem legitimate or not at the time. Help us to love those who carry your image in them for who they are. If we disagree with them about things, show us ways in which we can still love sit around the same table and get along. If maybe our personality is making it difficult to engage with others, help us to find ways in which we can practice this neighbour love in our own way. May our neighbours feel welcomed, feel worthwhile and cared for by us individually and by us as the RBC community. And may RBC be a community that is known for loving those in our community and pointing them to you who loved us first. We pray that by your spirit, you'll be continuing to place these commands of greatest importance before us as we go about our work, our rest and our play. And all the people said, 
Amen. Loving God and loving people is more than a slogan. It's more than a mission statement that drives a community. It's the single most important thing in life and faith. And in order to be able to see lives changed and experience the joy of of people experiencing Jesus, we best allow our lives to be changed first through the life-transforming relationship we can have with Him. Thanks for listening and we hope that you enjoyed this podcast. If this message has impacted you in some way, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us through the Hub online at thehub.rbc.org.au or through our social media links in the show notes. See you next time.